is the food eating me? I, I don't think so, because then okay. technically the food... I mean, all you're asking for is a little quid pro quo from food. You know, I don't see a way to continue this metaphor without it getting into territory that doesn't fit on this podcast. And hello! <laughs> And welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, your source for tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois, and beyond. I'm your host, John Parrott, and with me today is the spectacular staff members of my friendly local game store, Red Raccoon Games. The people I've managed to lure into talking about games with me today are... I am Alexis. I am Jesse. And... The store was hopping whenever I actually came in and got you guys out of the door. What's going on today? What's been going on this week? Well, today we have uh, we have Pokemon casual play and we have um, Baldur's Gate Commander Legends 2 uh, pre-release, uh, Two-Headed Giant for today. Um, and then just the usual shenanigans of Sundays are usually a pretty decently busy day. As far as the week goes, I mean, Baldur's Gate, that's been yeah. that's been a popular pre-release. Um, and this is the second D&D <laughs> style. Yeah. Second release. D&D style and second Commander style release in one. Yeah. So the other D&D was Commander the other, style? The no. other one was a regular standard set. Right. And, and then, then there was Commander Legends by itself also. And this is a D&D Commander Legends mashup. Oh, okay. Peanut butter and chocolate. And it seems like it's going well. People yeah. are having fun with it. I've heard people are divisive about some of the cards, but as a whole are pretty happy. I mean, that was true for the first D&D set in that competitive players said this is an underpowered set and people who like the flavor of it went crazy for it. So, I mean, I saw a lot of stores talking about this set has been underperforming for us. No one wants to buy it. And those were stores that have a very competitive driven um, community. Our community tends to be very casual and we and we also have a strong D&D following in our community. So between those two things, it was one of our best selling sets, uh, the first um, D&D magic set. And the main gimmick is that the cards are, there's some cards that are dungeons that you can progress through and then get booms yeah. from, correct? Yeah, do. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't remember if you'd actually played with a dungeon mechanic. I, ha- I haven't played, but I've played against someone who was playing it, and I've looked at it enough. But yeah, the dungeon card like kind of sits to the side, and if you do a certain thing, you get to move through the dungeon, and then I believe you can then bring out another dungeon. So it's kind of a sideboard of, if this, then you can advance yeah. this card and get different effects. Uh, a little bit like, I would say... The Saga cards, it's kind of like a more developed version of that similar. It's a card with multiple steps to it. Um, But there's that. There's the class uh, mechanic, which these were things that people really liked in the first D&D set. And when the only thing that's sad is that I know I'm not going to see this mechanic again until the next D&D set. And hey, here we are. There it is. They decided whoop, to come there with it. There it is. Yeah. Whoop. whoop. There it is. There it is. I like the energy that you're bringing with the whoop. <laughs> it is just the right limit to do a whoop. I mean, any the, lower, you cannot whoop. These new mics make us feel very NPR. I feel like this is the most sedate we've probably ever been right. in a podcast. Uh, that's probably true. I, but I guess we just feel like we're professionals now. For those of you that don't know, we've been trying to up our game. So we are using new equipment and uh, it's... I think going so well so far. Uh, pretty happy about it. And so that's why you got a brand new spanking intro. Not spanking. It, it, it gets consent first. But 
That that might need to be might need now, to be cut from the podcast. I'm just thinking about the Winamp uh, test music with the yes. llama. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, first off, a question that I've asked before, but kind of veered away from. But now I'm getting more and more curious. What's on your guys' tables nowadays? So, um, <clears throat> I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and also uh, peel back the the. Behind the scenes on this is that early on in the podcast, it seemed natural for John to say, hey, what have you guys been playing? And we started the podcast in a really bad run of both Jamie and I not playing games because we were so busy. <laughs> it was a little hard to get information out of you when you were both like, well, we we are, work at a game store, so obviously we have no time to actually play with our products. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, maybe I need to cut this segment. Yeah. This is not working. One or two times, it's just, oh, that's kind of fun. And then, it, yeah, but... I've actually been having possibly my best year ever so far for playing games, and that's really exciting. Um, for me personally, I know that playing on Board Game Arena online has helped that a lot, um, just in terms of the accessibility of I'm laying down to, you know, what do I got to do instead of reading before bed? Hey, I'll play a quick game or whatever, right? Um, but that's also been great because it's facilitated me learning games that I also play physically. I realized that I've been playing Azul incorrectly. <sighs> um, there you. I play it physically. Um, I played it infrequently. And so I had thought that you were allowed when you grab tiles to... Uh, put them on multiple rows, and that is a no-no. No. Yeah. Now, to be I fair, wish. when I taught people, I told everyone they were able to do it, so it wasn't just me. Uh, but so wait, <clears> hold on. You're saying because you spread misinformation, that somehow that justifies well, it? Well, then it's at least fair it's, that everyone's yeah. playing it wrong, right? <laughs> but I mean, there's also things like um, there's some heavier uh, Euro games that are intimidating to learn initially. Um, like I was playing. Uh, Oh, I already knew Lost Ruins, but like um, Zulkin and um, Kalis, which I hadn't played in quite a while, and having it machine assisted with the AI in there helped, or the scripting rather, uh, made it to where I'm like, okay, cool, I'm going to play this physically. I already understand how the game works, and that makes it that much less intimidating for me to get those things to table. In terms of what I've actually been playing, um, I am going to look at my my list to refresh me, and that means I'm going to say, John, what have you been playing this week? So I have not been able to actually play that much lately because my game table is currently set up in paint mode. Ah. Uh, the Army Painter Speed Paints came out. We talked about them on this podcast, something I absolutely like love to work with. And so at first it was going to be uh, my wife and I were just going to be kind of painting together using them. Then I decided, well, for like the actual figure pieces, I want to I want to make them look really sharp. So I don't want to just do one mono color. Yeah. So now I tried to do the acrylics on like the main characters, and she was trying to do the enemies and large amount of monsters in mono color. And she can whip through all of them in the time that it takes me to do like one piece <laughs> of a main character. <coughs> so I'm continually trying to like I'm four games behind her painting yeah. schedule, and it is frustrating. Mm. But I absolutely <clears throat> love it, and actually started trying to use speed painting for some uh, like individual pieces on a character. It's a little bit harder because the paint runs more like ink than necessarily yeah. paint. So you have to be precise every single time because you're not going to have the ability to necessarily go over. When you get piece. the overlaps, it looks a little messy if you're not careful. Yeah. Which I'm considering maybe getting a little bit of gray acrylic mm -hmm. and going over a few pieces before I, I repaint them just so that I can get a little bit more of a clean cut. But the, the pieces look phenomenal. I love how they're coming out. Uh, they 
there definitely is a different texture. So it's not going to be what you see professionally, like whenever you go to Reddit and you see all these amazing right. people that are there. But it does give it a, a very nice freshness. Mm-hmm. I did acrylics on my uh, Lord of the Rings figures, and it was incredible. And I felt like I had like some real dynamics. And then I did my uh, Cthulhu Death Might Die figures with the speed paints totally different feeling but that same sense of reward and wonder and wanting to show it off yeah um, if i got better at priming that would probably also help too because <laughs> a few of my figures are still a little spotty but that's really what i've been working with and i cannot recommend these speed paints enough it is it, it's a game changer if you're just wanting to get things to look nice on the table when i get back to painting <clears throat> sorry uh, when I get back to painting, I'm definitely looking forward to trying out some of the speed paints because the I'm a huge proponent for the uh, way that the Citadel contrast line facilitates someone who doesn't do a lot of painting, doesn't want to spend a lot of time painting, uh, getting their stuff painted. And the speed paints look like they fill in so many gaps that that line had, either something that was an effective color or just a color that didn't really exist. Um, so I'm definitely very excited to try those out. Excellent. I, when I paint next. Hey, if you want to come over to my house, there's plenty to paint. <laughs> I could use the extra pair of hands. Oh, I've got plenty of un, unpainted plastic in my house, too. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I think that that's, you know, if at some point all the hobbyists have all of their stuff painted and there's no unpainted, unbuilt sprues in their house, I think that's one of the seven seals breaks open then. So <laughs> we're doing our part. come from yeah. the sky. <laughs> um, in terms of what I've been playing, actually, um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Keep uh, this time of year. It's every time of year for me with having to cough and clear my throat. Um, so got to play Ten Penny Parks. I believe that that has been since the last podcast. I don't think that we talked about that one. I've not heard it come out of your mouth. Yeah, I so was going to mention that one too. If you're going to talk about Ten Penny Parks, I'll leave that one for you then. Um, You can talk about it together. That's the beauty of podcasting. Conversations can happen. We did play it together, so that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Tenpenny Parks from Eagle Griffin Games, I believe. If I'm remembering it right. Thunder Thunderworks. Thunderworks. Oh, you're right. It's not Eagle Griffin. It's Thunderworks. That was a deep cut. I'm sorry. (laughs) That took me a good second to get there. Um, It's it's one of those. (laughs) That's going to bother me. Wow. We'll just... John gets to cut this. Yeah. Why don't uh, Alexis, while Jesse looks that up and also takes a drink of water, why don't you tell us a little (laughs) bit about how the game is played? Okay. So it is a amusement park theme and there's some polyomino aspects to it. So you are building an amusement park on a grid. Like you've got your grid over here and then the, the main board and you're placing workers and so you can go to clear off trees from your amusement park so you have more room to build. Or you can go to the the carousel, which has you, um, depending on where you place it, you can then buy certain attractions. So you could buy like a water slide to put in your park or a really cool roller coaster or a souvenir shop. <clears throat> um, and then at the end of every round, you can pay for ads if you want to, to gain victory points. And the, so you win by getting the most victory points. But they call them visiting people, which I think is clever for a music park game. So how many people came to visit your park? So, yeah, I like the combination of worker placement and um, tile placement. Those are two things I really enjoy. Very quick to play and learn game. Um, <clears throat> there was actually um, Rodney from Watch It Played on YouTube had a learn to play video for it. And I watched it earlier in the day once. And then when we sat down to play it, we barely referenced the rules except yeah. for for setup. 
um, which I thought was really impressive. Rodney does a great job. If you don't already use the Watch It Played series on YouTube for helping you get going with games that you haven't played yet or that you're refreshing yourself on, it's it's amazingly good production. So clear. I feel like it's a rite of passage as you get better with board games because basically step one is you learn Catan or Ticket to Ride. And then you realize there's a larger game community out there. And then you start playing other games and eventually you find one that's so confusing, you search it online and guess who's there waiting for you? Like a stalker, Rodney, ready to teach you those games. Uh, he does a phenomenal job, yes. Yeah. And his production values are top-notch. So good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, the one thing that threw me a little bit, it was very different. So the game reminds me a lot of um, Baron Park, Baron Park uh, which is about making a bear zoo laying down polyominoes uh they're very similar but in this one you can't have the pieces touch side like a flush side they have to be touching on a diagonal corner kind of like a blockus and that took a little bit for me to get in my brain the spatial how should i plan this out uh which definitely makes it a little trickier so if someone looks at it and goes i already have baron park i really like it i do think this fits in a different niche um, to where it's still worth having both on your shelf. And uh, if you look at it and go, I don't know, I already have like Unfair, which is one that I really enjoyed from a few years ago, which was a little bit more of um, set collection and a little engine building. <clears throat> this has got a similar vibe, but plays quicker, I think, and uh, it's different enough. So really solid. And I did look it up. It is Thunderworks Games. I don't know why I thought of Eagle Griffin. I probably thought of Eagle Griffin because one of the other games I've been playing a lot... Um, I think they're one of the ones who have a version of imprint right now, and that's Can't Stop. So I've been playing Can't Stop on BGA is like my I'm going to play something for five minutes game. So is the fact that you're here right now proving that you've lost the game? Um, yeah, I, 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 well, maybe. So the thing about Can't Stop is that if you can't stop, you will lose. It's a dice game. It's actually, I guess, kind of sort of a classic at this point because it was originally published in like the 80s. Um, but I just discovered it on BGA. And essentially, it's a push-your-luck game where you're trying to get uh, some versions of what I've been playing is uh, like like mountain climbers, scaling the side of a mountain. You roll four dice, and you move your markers up lines um, based on your results. So it's like, okay, these two numbers make a seven. Move your line up, right? You can move up... Uh, up to three different lines on your turn and you keep rolling dice until you either stop and then lock in how far you got or you roll a combination that doesn't advance any of the numbers that you're working on that turn and then you bust and you lose all your progress first person to get three of those lines completed wins so like the seven is the longest one because that's the most common combination for 2d6 but the 12 and the two you only have to like get three because those are the hardest ones to get. Um, really simple game, and it's just kind of... It was one where I went, hmm, I haven't played this, and now I'm going to look and see if we can get a copy of it in store, because I think this is the kind of thing that, similar to, like, Quicks or um, uh, different rolling rights like that, if you have a family that goes, or a, a Gonshin Clever, if you have a family who goes, yeah, we really like Yahtzee, here, here's a different thing to kind of expand That's things out for you. Yahtzee. Yeah. Um, I also played, this is, this is not new. None of these are right now are particularly super fresh and new. I do have one, uh, Century Spice Road. I finally played, I had never played Century Spice Road or Century Golem Edition, same game, different flavor. Uh, have either of you played? I know you have, cause we played it together, yeah, um, pointing at Alexis. Have you played any oh, of the Century of course. games? I played 
all of the Century games. We love them. Century Golem being top-notch art for me. That's my my usual route. But I've heard good things about Spice Road. So um, for those who are less familiar, uh, the Century games are a trilogy of games, and uh, Spice Road is the first, like the first one that came out. And so the OG Century trilogy is uh, historical trading themed, and then Golem is a fantasy reskin of it where instead of different spices you have different uh, colored gemstones and um, mechanically they're identical the one thing that does throw me off is that the colors change between the two so if you play spice road you're used to a certain color progression of how the because the different resources can be traded like up and down and converted golem has them in a different order so if you switch between the two versions, you can kind of get a little bit of, wait a minute, green turns into red. Wait, uh, no, wait, they were the other way in the other version. <laughs> but um, essentially the way it plays is you are trying to collect up victory point cards by spending resources on them and you play cards to get uh, resources and convert them. And so it's engine building. It's got a little bit of a feel of the kind of combo making you make in a deck builder, but it's not really a deck builder. Um, it's all about trying to do efficient conversion to get victory point cards before your opponents grab the ones you're trying to get. Uh, it definitely scratches the same kind of itch as Splendor. They're different enough that I, again, think someone could see, uh, could see someone enjoying both of those and seeing a reason to have both. I personally like this one more than Splendor because the more you build out that engine of being able to convert resources, by the end of the game, you are doing more on your turn than you are early game. Whereas Splendor, the way that you build up is you're able to buy more expensive things, but you're not doing more necessarily in between like purchases. So um, more like capitalism. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is interesting too, because since the, uh, the victory point cards you could buy are constantly changing as they get purchased. You know, you could be, okay, I've got this engine where I'm able to convert this spice into three of these ones. I can take one at two of that one and turn it into this one. And I know three turns from now I can get that combination. Every card is going to be different. So you have to really be fluid with what you're trying to do and go, can I get this in three turns, well, it looks like my opponent's got to get there in two, so I should shift and start by trying to get something else. I really enjoyed it. It makes me very curious to try out the other Century games. Yeah. Uh, this one's definitely something I would say is very newbie-friendly if you have someone who's newer to uh, tabletop games. Um, and I know that all three integrate to some degree. John, do you know, have you tried any of, like, taking Spice Road and or um, Golem... Eastern Mountains and Endless World. Endless World. As someone who enjoys transforming robots that come together, you would think that yes, I'd be on board <laughs> with any time that I can take a bunch of stuff and put it into one thing to make it more powerful. However, I've never gotten the opportunity to. Mm. Normally, whenever we break out one of these games, especially when it comes to Century, it's one of the play things where I'm playing with people for the first time because it's a great introductory game. But at the same time, it's one of those, we played it and we kind of put it aside. We right, play it and we right. put it aside and we've never just had a real craving. I kind of dream of an apocalypse. Not that I want it to happen, but just so that I can replay some of the games that I own to a point where I kind of master them. Uh, so therefore, that's the only upside I see to our inevitable demise as a society. That's understandable. I will say there's value in just setting it up for yourself to see how it works. 
I've done that before with plenty of stuff, so. I feel like that's really artistic. Like, that's a Yoko, like, oh no <laughs> type. Like, I will set up a board game for myself to admire it. Yes, but I do understand the, the allure of that and totally support your audience. Um, the other one I'll mention briefly, because I played it at uh, 2 in the morning when I wasn't sleeping the other night, is Pocket Master Builder, which just came out on Friday. Um, I forget the actual studio name on that, but I know that we got it through Asmodee. Um this is a pocket game, literally fits in a purse, and it is a city builder with some worker placement and resource management for one to two players. I played the solo version, plays pretty solid as a solo, um, and you build the board as you go. And the interesting thing about it is that you are playing out buildings in this in this grid for this city. And that is not you building that to like own it and score victory points. You're adding to the board and at a later turn someone can spend the resources to build it claim it get its resources um so that was definitely interesting worth looking at if you like those mechanics and you want something that you can play on your own and that's easy to take with um alexis what about you what's been on your table lately a lot of different things um i'll try and go quickly i'm I've... more than happy if john cut some of mine out because i talked more than i meant to <laughs> you're fine you're fine um so Again, none of these are new, but they're new to me. And before I say anything about them, I had set goals at the beginning of the year, and one of them was to play 50 new games uh, by the end of the year, and I already succeeded. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Yep. Golf clap. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I'm only like 80 games away from 125 games played, and that I don't include my BGA games unless they're the first time I've played them, or if I play them with someone I know, which I know doesn't make sense. So whatever metric makes sense to you. Exactly. Humble brag all the way. So, but I mean, I've, I've played like 110 games of Azul in the last month. It's, uh, it's excessive, but I did play uh, Kingdom Rush for the first time. Is that the tower defense yeah. game? Mm. Yeah, that came out a few mm. while ago. It was, yeah. Absolutely love that game. It is really good. Um, I don't have much to say about that one. I enjoyed I, it. I found it very hard if you did not choose the right characters to play with in the beginning. Like, you really need to follow, like, the progression. Once you get better, you can use some right. more advanced characters. But really, when you're starting out, don't try and jump over the, the difficulty at edge. No. And we played um, – there was four of us, and mm -hmm. one of them had played all the way through and on hard and beat the campaign. So with her help and then having all four characters out on easy mode, we did we did okay. We won. <laughs> That's all that matters yeah. in the end. And really, if you're having a good time, yeah. you always win. I uh, generally lose games. <laughs> I I, I got to tell this story real quick, John. Okay, hit me. So, you you know Brittany. Brittany's the Zora. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I played a game with Zora the other day. Oh, really? Yes. Zora being how old at this Zora point? Zora is two. Okay. All right. Just so, so that we're on the page yes. here. Yes. We played uh, my very first Animal, animal Upon Animal. She killed me. What? I lost to a two-year-old. She stacked the chicken on top, all cockeyed, and I, I, I couldn't stack anything on top of it. I knocked it over. It's that so, kind of toddler dexterity where it circles all the way back around to somehow you did it and it didn't fall, but nothing can touch it now. Yes. It makes me feel like that, that idea that if you believe in something enough, like you can <laughs> manifest it. Toddlers are just able to do that. Like, I believe that I can fall from this high height and not hurt myself. So therefore I am. Nowadays, I'm old enough to understand physics and yeah. the limitations of my bones. That's not going to happen. But a toddler made a rubber. 
You know, there's another thing you played since last podcast. There's a lot of things I've played. Uh, I don't know which one you're talking about. Five Tribes? I do want to hear about Five Tribes because I'm very interested to play that one. I was thinking about... <laughs> Cartographer <laughs> Heroes with one of the new map packs? It's not on, it's uh, not on Tuluva? your... Tuluva? Ubongo 3D? <laughs> it's not on your board game list. It was a role-playing game. Oh, Vampire? Yeah. <gasps> Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. Yes, Jesse, you have talked about actually finally getting a crew together to play a role-playing game. Yeah, we we did, and we did the, the, the planning, and then we, we managed to actually get together and do a session zero and a first session Yeah, uh, within a week of each other, because May was a really weird month, and that was the only availability anyone had the entire month. Um, but yeah, we did so, and uh, Alexis is in that game, and it would probably be more interesting to hear her talk about that. This is her first time playing Vampire at all, too. Yes. It is my first time playing Vampire, and my first time... Well, I don't want to say playing any role-playing game, because I played a one-shot at Thank the you. Free I, RPG I've corrected day. you once you already have. about this, and <laughs> I, I didn't want to have to do it again. No, I remember now. Um, and then, like, I played a few sessions of D&D back in college, but it was never a consistent thing. But this one's neat, and I, I enjoy our group so far of people. I get along with them well. I'm... I'm a shy person at first, so I was nervous to uh, have all these new people around me and have to talk, but it's been good. And my character is a freshly turned vampire. That was what most of our first session was, was them finding me and being like, hey, what's going on with this person? You're a baby. Yeah. And uh, taking me in and telling me that I'm a vampire, and I was just like, okay, I don't... It's a lot to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't done too much more reading, which I need to do, but I am excited for the next session. I will tell you that uh, one of the best ways to understand how vampires played, because honestly, I never truly understood it as an RPG, because, well, first of all, my only experience with it was there was a college group that played when I was going to school, and I would go down to the basement to get a drink, and then people in trench coats would come up next to me, and they'd all just go into the same room everyone wearing black and it looked like they were just sitting around like mulling over and I found out they were LARPers for Vampire mm. and I just assumed that all it was was sitting and talking and like fanging at each other which I assume <laughs> is like you know uh, so I didn't quite understand how the game was fully fleshed out but if you've watched LA by Night which is a fantastic actual play with one of my favorite players Erica Ishii it does a great job of illustrating the complexity that you can have in a vampire game. Plus, it has Brennan Lee Mulligan as a side character in that, and anything that he does, I will worship. So, I I definitely, I think of when we mentioned before when I was doing the preparation stage, um, Vampire is a game that I had difficulty kind of grokking what the... What what a what a campaign should look like um, compared to other World of Darkness games, which I played a lot of. Because in Vampire, it's like, well, you're an alpha, you're an apex predator. So aside from politicking with each other and be you know dressed up and play petty is is what people usually call LARPing vampire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, fifth edition for Vampire has updated the uh, the world for the last twenty years and made a lot of status quo changes to where you are not guaranteed that you're just an apex predator and the only other thing to worry about is other 
vampires or maybe werewolves. Um, there is an active inquisition because information about the masquerade has been breached. So there's government organizations doing black ops. There, um, the the uh, Catholic Church has. Uh, Don't they have anything better to do? <laughs> really, I feel like they have so much on their plate already. Uh, there were definitely so there's there's a group called the Society of Leopold, which was like kind of mostly defunct. That was like a Middle Ages vampire like uh, inquisition group, and it's like you know they're just some guys who are just like I want to be a vampire hunter. I want to be a paladin. And then they got the go ahead because they're like, oh, ends up this is still a thing again. Um, yes, but there's that. There's been a bunch of things where like some of the clans have just basically had like their infrastructure blown up. So it's a much more dangerous world again. And there's a big focus in 5th edition for playing fresher vampires. They said in in-universe reasons for why you can't play someone who is like over 500 years old. Um, and so it's... Uh, it's been great mechanically speaking. I love it because it takes some old World of Darkness mechanics, refreshes them, and then also takes some influence from some of the uh, New World of Darkness or Chronicles of Darkness, it's called now, mechanics that streamlined things. Um, I think it's great and we're having a good time. And I'm fortunate that I have a group who've been doing things like writing diary entries for what their characters like thought about the last session, what they want to do. And it seems like Theme-wise, we're all very much on the same page with the yeah. kind of strange horror that we want to we want to deal with. So I'm very excited, and I'm sure they're really thankful that they got the call because you know some people don't get the call <laughs> to come and play games with you, and that just happens. Speaking of RPGs, however, uh, getting into our news for this week, D and D does something called Unearth Arcana. Many of you are probably familiar with this if you're down the rabbit hole enough to be listening to this podcast, but basically it sometimes gives us previews of what is to come within D&D. And of course, this is much far-flung ideas in the future, but before we got Fizbin's dragons, uh, there was a dragon Unearth Arcana that kind of gave us a hint of what was coming. Now, we still know what the latest Dungeons and Dragon books are going to be. We know that the Radiant Citadel is coming. We know Spelljammer is coming. Uh, the Monsters of the Multiverse has just come out and changed so much about the races. But this Unearth Arcana is very interesting to me about what a possible setting could be coming, and I don't think it exists. And I feel bad because Jamie, our, our resident lore master of Dungeons and Dragons, is not with us today because there's this little thing called Origins going on up north <laughs> that he had to go and get exposed to all of the fun things that are going to be coming down the pipe. Uh, but the Unearth Arcana they just released is called the Giant Unearth Arcana, the wanna, Giant Options. I want to be a giant, yo. Yeah. All big. <laughs> yeah. So, so far they've given us three different classes that are going to have some connection to this. But the strange thing is not all of them are giant. Really, the only one that is truly affected by the giant word is the barbarian, who basically every time they rage, they get to turn into the Hulk. Uh, They get taller, they get bigger. uh, At certain levels, they can get elemental attacks. Eventually, they can actually throw enemies and companions uh, like into danger or out of danger. That's so, fun. Yeah, it definitely gives you a little bit more of a, you know, so, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry Speedball special. Exactly, yeah. for you X-Men Claremont fans. You can name your character uh, Barbarian Banner instead of Bruce Banner. Exactly. It okay. still follows the alliteration, yeah. and I love that. And so now you have to play D&D with me as that. Sure. She-Hulk is coming out. Yeah. She's represented. All right, so the other interesting part, the thing that really caught my attention, the wizards get something called rune casters. They get to put runes on things. It's supposed to be ancient runes. Again, ancient. 
that's an important part for this last bit, which is the druid circle of primeval. Uh, or primal, maybe. Maybe I spelled that wrong. I'll double check that here in a second. However, the big thing about this is that you can get a dinosaur animal companion. Okay. And you can eventually cast magic through it. Eventually, you can actually summon it to be extra large. So you can first start out with something that's like a raptor and then make them into a T-Rex. So the reason I love this so much is because we're going to roll back to the 80s, Alexis, if you need to just zone out during this time period, because I know this doesn't affect you. I understand. But there's a little show called He-Man. Uh-huh. Uh, it was very influential to me growing up uh, because... Looking back at it now, it it is trash. It is selling toys, and he never really punches anybody. He's just super strong. He was a character that was meant to be virtuous and strong and very much like the prototypical paladin slash barbarian. However, there was supposed to be another season where they went back in time to pre-Eternia, and then it was going to be a whole set of giants and... Uh, the bad guy, the good guys riding on dinosaurs instead of horses and vehicles and things along those lines. And it never got to come to fruition because He-Man was kind of on the downward slope. But the idea of us going to a D&D realm that is dinosaur-based, that is like ancient world-based, is very curious to me. And I don't think it's something that I can think of that's been done before in my research. No, I mean, there were dinosaurs in, uh, was it Chalf? The, uh, yes. Um Tomb of Annihilation setting. And I think um, Eberron has some, like, dinosaur-esque yeah. creatures. I mean, I remember playing Pathfinder, and uh, you could have, like, a dino mount, because um, mm-hmm. there are dinosaurs there. But uh, I don't think in the way that you were discussing here, with it really being a big focus, um, I don't, I like, yeah, it's not like, oh, yeah, Mystera has dinosaurs. That's what this is. So it might be something really fresh. Um, and now I'm just trying to remember. Give me a, Give me a little deep lore here. Is, is Eternia supposed to be a different planet, or is it supposed to be like far future Earth, or do they ever deal with that? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pre-Eternia podcast within a <laughs> podcast. Uh, so the, the lore of He-Man is it is a different planet because an astronaut from Earth actually lands on the planet Eternia, happens to marry a man by the name of Randor, who becomes king, and is then the mother of He-Man. He-Man is actually half-Earthling. Oh. Something that is not really over included too much inside normal conversation of He-Man. But yeah, he's one half-human. Uh, so it is on a totally different world, totally different plane, and then we can get into like Hordak and all that from the She-Ra universe, which is a much better villain than Skeletor. I'm going to have to rein it in here. But <laughs> if there is not a hero reference in whatever book is coming out, I'm going to be disappointed. Hero was supposed to be the first wizard and the one that eventually his powers became He-Man's powers. So, yes. So, wow, so that, his, that was his is the power of Grayskull? Uh, I believe his call sign was by the magic of Eternia, and he raised up a staff, and then he became basically like wizard He-Man. So he just had really powerful spells instead of being physically strong. And eventually he had a friend that was named King Grayskull that eventually they kind of merged together. It's a lot. We'll start a different podcast for this, okay? Because <laughs> I am so close to gushing just as much as you guys did about the games you played this week. I love this. As people who listen to the podcast may think that I just love to talk all the time, which is the thing that I do, but I actually love to hear people talk about the things that they enjoy as well. Oh, so don't, don't get me started. <laughs> we can talk about that off air. Um, but yeah, this seems like it's going to be kind of an interesting new mix of things. And 
I know in the D&D space, I think that we're we are in a blessed age where there is pretty much a, a RPG for anything. Yes. I believe in the new hotness that we'll get into in a little bit. There's even kind of flipbook RPGs that are now mm. in the new hotness. Anything from Thirsty Sword Lesbians to uh, City of Mist. City of Mist, which is now also on the new hotness, which I actually got into the Kickstarter. I have PDF. I have run games within the City of Mist mm. system and absolutely love it. Good. You'll be able to talk about that one. Nice. Absolutely. Uh, there is. I, I also ran like side games out of it. It's a very flexible system. But. I think dinosaurs is something that we have not gotten to in RPGs yet. So it's it always is refreshing to me to think, wow, we've we've really maybe hit a new place mm. to to play. I can't think of anything that is inherently dinosaur focused. The only thing that came to mind was I think there was a Cadillacs and dinosaurs roleplay at one point in time. Yes, back um, in the day, there might have been an RPG for that. That was a comic and, a, and an arcade game and a video and a, and a there was a cartoon. As yeah, well. yeah. But again, it was not really in like prehistoric right. world. It was just Cadillacs and. and- the said dinosaurs. Yeah, the only other thing I think of is there was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, game back in the eighties from uh, um, uh, the the company that makes the too complicated rules. Um, <laughs> they used to have the Robotech license. Rifts. There we go. But yeah, the they they had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you could make any kind of your you're a super powered furry. That's the only thing I could think of. You're right. Dinosaurs are different. Yep, hmm. that's a new thing. Speaking of things that are different and sometimes overly complicated, one of our other news stories I wanted to bring up today is what CMON is doing. So uh, you can read more about this on comicbook.com, but an article by Kristen Hoffer. But CMON had a live event this week to announce their new Kickstarter. My fingers were crossed for another Cthulhu death may die. And Uh, I prayed and I prayed and I knew Alexis was probably devoting some sort of blood to some sort of God in order to make this happen because she and I both love that game to death. Um, But they announced that they are doing Cyberpunk 2077 Gangs of Night City, which I don't know if is really burning up the charts is what people were wanting to play. You know, it's it's an interesting one for them to do. Um, this is the kind of project that always makes me go, did you plan for there to be different timing on this and something happened? I mean, obviously, Cyberpunk... Cyberpunk RPG, we still sell a decent mm-hmm. bit of. The Cyberpunk video game has had mixed, you know... It's gotten better over time. And that's one of those things where, you know, a friend mentioned this of... If you have issues at release, people are always going to associate it with that, even if you make it better later, right? I mean, talking about Vampire, that's still a thing where I'll have people say, doesn't Vampire 5th have some weird, like, edgelord stuff? It's like, the very first print run did, and they fixed it. They got rid of those people. But that that will follow you. So Cyberpunk is still, it's not like it's a, um, it's not super, super hot right now. Um, all that said, based on Simon's res, you know, um, Uh, Pedigree. Pedigree. That's the word. Thank you. Um, I imagine this is going to be a fun game. And sci-fi board games do not get the same amount of attention. They tend to be more niche. They tend to be... uh, They don't tend to sell as well as fantasy or even modern stuff. So I'm happy to see a big project sci-fi game come out. Um, Sounds interesting. I know Shadowrunner came out a while back and that did not necessarily Which, burn. It was the same as the D&D games where you had cards. And- oh, oh, um, the Shadowrun, um, 
Crossfire. Yep, that's um, the one. So yeah, that Shadowrun Crossfire actually Dragonfire was a revamp of that system. Crossfire was a really fun co-op deck builder, except for the initial version of it was broken and Im- almost impossible to win. Um, they did do a revamp though; that's better. But yeah, you're right. There's there's not a lot of of that. Um, but this game is looking like it's going to be an area control uh, with players are going to get their own gangs uh, that are already pre-kind of made with special abilities, but they can also hire edge runners. So if you want to get uh, Keona Reeves, who plays Johnny Silverhand in the video game, on your team, which I assume the art is still going to remain the same for him, uh, you can hire him to be a part of your gang. Uh, and it's two to four players and should be on Kickstarter very, very soon. I, I kind of wonder, being area control, if this is going to be uh, reminiscent of um, um, Rising Sun, mm-hmm. where maybe it's somewhat asymmetrical in terms of everyone having some different mechanics and goals. Um, oh, they've done they've done creative and interesting things with their other area control games. Agreed. Alexis, anything you want to say that I can use as a uh, ability to move over to our next news story? I, I've got some things to say about this next story. Excellent. Why don't you go, <laughs> let me go ahead and introduce it then. Okay. Um, so going back to Alexis and I having a love for the macabre, uh, Asmodee has announced an amazing deal that they have made. Going along with Graphic Audio, they plan on taking... Graphic Audio, by the way, are people that did uh, audio versions of not only the Stormlight Archives from Brian Sanderson, but also The Boys, which is now oh, a phenomenal show. I didn't know they did Amazon. Graphic Audio of that. They did. And apparently it's like full audio. Like I had to do some research on this. So I, I will say, if we're talking about who Graphic Audio are, they're different from regular audiobook. It's not like Audible. This is just someone reading the book. Um, I first saw Graphic Audio back when I worked at the truck stop a decade ago because they were. it was a very popular line that um, truckers would buy and listen to. Um, they do full productions where they'll do sound effects, they'll do uh, cast, and they'll usually... Um, it's not usually a bridge where there's content missing, but they will make it flow more like an audio drama where like you won't you'll get the he said and she said and she this um, cut out more to streamline it. Exactly. It's more like you're listening to a movie uh, and they take great pride to make sure that that medium is still kept. Very radio play. Exactly. Yeah. So Asmodee apparently had a uh, publishing arm called and I don't Aconite. know Aconite, thank mm-hmm. you games and it's been around since 2020 and they have announced that 12 novels from the universes that Asmodee owns are going to be going into graphic audio productions and the first one being a uh, Arkham horror novel called The Wrath of Nakai. Nakai I think it's Nakai whenever you start getting into the Cthulhu world uh, apostrophes could mean anything you just <laughs> never know but Alexis, what are some things you wanted to say? Um, so I haven't read any of the Arkham Horror books because it felt like a, a lot to me when I saw them. And I was like, these look cool, but then I have to go back and get them all and read them mm-hmm. all. But this is just a fresh start and I can just listen to it, which is going to be fantastic. Um, I was going to mention all the background stuff that, that Jesse mentioned. So oh, I, well, it's, there okay. it is. <laughs> it's okay. It's <laughs> okay. The author of the first book, Raph of Nika, is Joss Reynolds, and he has written for a lot. He's wrote for the Zombie Side books. He's written 40, Warhammer 40K books, Legend of the Five 
Ring books and has been a contributor in a lot of anthologies, including other Cthulhu I'm stories. I'm pretty sure I've read some of his Age of Sigmar stuff before. That is entirely possible. So the deal is going to be that there are going to be five Arkham books, three Twilight Imperium books, which I was very surprised mm. to hear, and three zombie side books that are all going to be turned into this audio format. The Arkham books are interesting because there's actually two different versions. There's one that really coincides with the card game, the uh, narrative card game where basically if you buy a book, you're also possibly buying a character or a novella series. Exactly. An alternate. And I've read a few of those and they're pretty well done. They're very character focused. They're short. They're not meant to take you a lot of time. But in 2020, they started making these much larger novels set in the Arkham universe, but not necessarily with the characters that we truly know and love. Like, I believe those characters kind of Mm. intersparse between, but you're not truly following. This isn't like... and of course, Ginny Barnes is a character from the Arkham universe. There we go. It's not Ginny Barnes' story. It's somebody else's story that they might run into Ginny Barnes along the way. It also means that you're less certain whether the protagonist is going to make it through to the end of the story. Exactly. And I love that this is happening simply because it is another example of fans, of people who love certain elements of literature or drama or movies are finally being the people that can direct its future. Mm. Uh, We've seen that now in Star Wars. We're seeing it in um, some other media, but Arkham is one where we're kind of taking Lovecraft's ideas, but we're removing a lot of the stuff that we don't need to carry it forward. The, The stories of feeling xenophobic about, you know, the world around you, there's still something to be said there, but using less the, negative undertones in order to get there, the, I think is important. Hot take that I very much doubt anyone's going to disagree with. Um, Lovecraft is not necessarily a good writer. He had some really good ideas. Exactly. Um, and I have actually read very few of his stories, like actually reading them. Uh, but there's a podcast called the HP Lovecraft literary podcast, which is excellent. And uh, they went through chronologically his entire work and did a lot of context, did some excerpts, did some synopses. And I feel like that was the best way to experience Lovecraft's own, uh, of you know, whatever that word is. Um, <laughs> because frankly, a lot of it is overwrought. He intent, he was writing in the twenties and he intentionally wrote it in, in an archaic fashion because he liked old stuff. And like you said, there's a lot of elements that not every Lovecraft story has, terrible racist stuff in it but a lot of them have some undertones and sometimes overtones of that that it's it's gross and um so i think that yeah taking those ideas and then also it's also fleshed out at this point that it's like cthulhu's not scary because everybody knows everything about cthulhu but if you could take and do something like that but twist it a little bit and make it unknown again that's one of the things that makes delta green so good exactly delta green being an rpg where you are a member of the government trying to deal with the horrors of a Cthulhu-esque world. Don't read the book. Burn the book. Why did you read the book? You weren't supposed to read the book. That's an inside joke for everyone who gets Delta Green. Out of the 27 people that (laughs) listen to this podcast, two of them I'm pretty sure got that. It's, it, I mean, it's sidebar, but the, the, the really, the 30 second why you would play Delta Green over regular Call Cthulhu is if you ever think, I don't want to do the silly horror movie thing of I went to the place I shouldn't have went and I knew it was going to be bad. I read the thing out loud I shouldn't have read. I was curious and it killed me. Delta Green is 
trying to avoid doing those things, but also knowing sometimes to advance, you have to do the thing. So it's more pragmatic. Um, it's excellent. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I totally could. Uh, last time I read Delta or ran Delta green, I had friends who for months later just went, man, I really wish that we could have saved that NPC. And I'm just like, ah, you're, you're still feeling emotions over that. I did my job. Well, (laughs) I have a plan to someday possibly do a spinoff podcast called red raccoon RPG, where we can dive into that at length. However, the book itself, the first one came out on May 16th, so you can go and find that now, mm. but that's an audiobook. We're not yeah. going to have that in the store. Let's talk about what is new yeah. at the shop right now. What is in The New Hotness? Uh, Alexis, what has been popping out to you in The New Hotness? Oh man. Um There's a new game that came out called Archmage that I have been eyeballing. I haven't bought it yet. Is that related to, I know that you were really into an RPG where you had like a main character, but you could also control like characters underneath. Is that part of it the same It is not universe? related to it. Okay, and that it is, sounded um, like so much when I was reading the back of the box. I just enjoy that theme a lot, but they're not related. Um, Ars Magica. Thank you. There it is. I was like, it's there, but if I just, I'll just skip over it. Um, in this one, you are a bunch of mages who are in a um, city that has fallen to ruins and you have to put together all six different houses of magic. I don't like the word houses because that reminds me of Harry Potter and it's not that at all, but circles, maybe that might be where they use to try and build the city back up. And then one of you becomes the new archmage. Excellent. Uh, The new what if Marvel, what if comes to hero clicks. And once again, I am tempted to play a game that I know that I will never play with my wife nor anybody else, but I still want those figures. Uh, They look so good. They look like they're pulled directly out of the TV show. Uh, And I know within the blind box, you can get a crocodile Loki. If you don't know what crocodile Loki is, you need to. So watch the TV show Loki, but it is fantastic. They look so good. Oh, I didn't realize that Sobek was still in the new hotness. Have Sobek we have we still... talked about that on the podcast before? We have not. Nah. So Sobek is a game that I have uh, played. I have played it like 38 times. And Alexis, how many times have you played it? Yeah, I don't know, like 120. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Alexis, why are you playing this game so much? It's fun and it's simple. So it's just a two-player game. Um, and it's set collection and then you sell the sets to get... Wow. Uh, points? Points, yeah. It's made by the same people who make King Domino. Okay. And so the scoring okay. is very similar, where on here the tiles will have scarabs, and then you multiply the scarabs by the number of tiles that you sold in that set, and that's how many points you get for that set. So that's the same as the crowns on the terrain in King Domino. Um, you know, I don't actually know, after all those games, what the, like, not theme... But there's, there's obviously the got to be a story behind it, right? Yeah, and I'm so not quite sure. Other than the, you're at a market? Yeah. So it's that um, Sobek is an Egyptian god and a temple to Sobek is being built. And you are merchants who are trading wares, um, okay. goods goods and food and such in the marketplace. And you are trying to, um, I guess, scoop up to best resell those wares and ship them off. And so you do that by collecting up the tiles. Um, and like you mentioned, you collect up those sets. When you play a set, it gets combined with a pre. Like if you sold uh, wheat previously, this second hand of wheat gets combined in. So it's a total. So the more you can consolidate one color, the more you're going to score. Um, you select them on a grid, and the 
the thing that's interesting about it is that you can skip over a tile that is like in the line that you could buy from, but anything you skip over goes into a corruption pile because you're overreaching, you're bending the rules and the corruption pile, whoever has less corruption at the end of the game will get bonus points. Um, it's played so quickly. It's mm-hmm. it's almost like an open drafting game in that you kind of look at, okay, well, if I take this one, then they're going to have these options next turn, but maybe I can bait them into leading towards this other tile I want. There's some special effects, uh, but it, it plays very quickly and it learns quickly. And it is definitely a game that when we play tech, typically we do like a set of three. We'll play it mm-hmm. three times in a row. So if you are someone who enjoys two-player games and you like like a King Domino, this is perfectly a next step from King Domino. I'm feeling Jamie channel through me as I look at the fact that my father's work is on the new hotness. It is. And I I have not heard much about this game, good or bad. I know that the, the Kickstarter made quite a splash, but I know that from seeing the box, you can learn nothing about the components inside or how to play it. And Jamie is channeling through me how frustrating that is for him that he's told me this multiple <laughs> so, times. So, um, honest question, John, have you not picked up? I've picked it up okay, and I've okay. turned it around and I've looked at the back and <laughs> no, do I, I know mean, what's there? You don't own it? I don't own it. Oh, well that's, yeah, we're going to get off the recording and you probably will after you hear about it. Okay. Yes. All right. So my father's work is very interesting, not only because of what kind of game it is, but a little bit of its Genesis. Um, it's published by Renegade Games. It was a game that they did only as a Kickstarter, and they said we will we will have some left over after Kickstarter for our, our online store. It is not going to go to distribution, and it is not anticipated. They're not planning another print run. They're not planning a regular retail version of it. So in theory, the copies we got are the only ones we're ever going to get. Um, okay. okay. Now, <laughs> the interesting thing about it is that this is a game that the designer, whose name I do not have off the top of my head, had been shopping around for quite a while in different playtest groups and different like game developer, game publisher circles, uh, going, I've got this great idea. Here's my prototype. Um, but every publisher who looked at it, who liked it, went, I don't know how to make this game physically happen. Um, I don't know how to make it happen in a production way that it's sellable. It's just, it's sprawling. It's amazing. But how does it, it's, it's like the unfilmable book, right? And with modern technology, Renegade said, I think we can do it. So my father's work is a game about being a Frankenstein style mad scientist who uh, is working on a generational project. Um, and so you, you're up in your castle above the, uh, the, the village and it's worker placement where you go to the village, you get different items, you gather resources and you might be working on creating a monster. You might be working on curing lycanthropy. You might be making a time machine. There's all these other, all these weird science tropes that you can do. Um, and, the the thing about it is that one, it is scenario based. There are three scenarios in the game that are different situations that you find yourself in. Uh, so it's not exactly campaign based like a legacy game. However, there is a companion app that is required to play that tells the story, keeps track of different things. The components are gorgeous. It has I'm a sucker for um, dual layered boards. Oh, and it's got dual layer boards. Jesse, you need to stop. Um, you need to, my wallet and cannot one handle of, this. What, I keep hearing that this week. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's really cool about it is the flavor is so like you're going to be doing weird stuff because you're doing weird, weird science stuff. 
So you have to balance that out because, like, if the villagers see you digging up bodies in the graveyard, they're not going to be as friendly to you when you go to the apothecary to acquire some uh, ether or whatever, right? Um, and if you get that that uh, the villagers don't like you meter up too too high, then the pitchforks come. So that's one of the things you have to balance. It's I'm so excited to play it. Now, I will say, I haven't checked this weekend, but there were some development delays where they were ironing out some bugs with the app. They didn't want the app to not function correctly on release. So they were like, okay, we're going to hold back. We're not going to ship the game yet. We're going to let the app get a little bit more worked on. Then they hit the point where they went, we're finishing up some stuff with the app to get it into the, you know, finish all the bugs, get it up into the, the Play Store and the App Store. But we're going to ship copies. So as of the last time I checked, the app is not out yet. So this is a game that you pick up and you won't necessarily be able to play it today because the app is required for play. However, if you sleep on it, you, might you, miss it. you will most likely miss it. Um, yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a long shot here. President Joe Biden, I know that you have a lot on your plate. Another stimulus check would be really nice right now. I'm just going to throw that out there. Did you get your Agreed. Facebook stimulus check? I did not get my Facebook stimulus check. Did you I sign did, up for your Google stimulus check? I did not. I'm bad at this. Well, you need to do it. You could sign up for your Google stimulus check right now. That's, okay. for, for those who are like, what are you talking about? Um, about a month prior to this recording, there was a settlement uh, in Illinois for Facebook violating privacy standards. And so a bunch of people who thought like three years ago to sign up for this Facebook settlement thing uh, got a check in the, in the mail. $390. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. That bought me uh, some stuff. Um, and then there's a Google settlement, I think is also Illinois specific, yes. that just got settled, but the claim sign up only just opened. So you still have time. Sneak in and maybe yeah. in a decade, you'll actually get money from right. Google. <laughs> of course, then it'll all be Bitcoin and NFTs. So oh God, I hope not. What are, what are the conversion rates down. on that? Uh, the reason why I need the whole stimulus check, however, is not just because that game sounds fantastic, but because City of Mist, the hardback mm. edition of both the player guide and the MC rulebook, uh, is on the new hotness. The whole slipcase. You can get the book and the guide. You can also get the slipcase. It's got a really nice slipcase and it's got the DM screen and I think I think a packet with like some player aids or something like that or an adventure. For those of you that don't know, City of Mist is uh, a light RPG, I would say. Uh, it is not mechanics heavy. A lot of it is uh, descriptive. You still roll dice, however, but all you need is D6s. And it is such a modular system. The actual storyline is you're in the city. Everyone is aspects of something in the world. So either you can be an aspect of Robin Hood or an aspect of Lightning or Thor or any sort of legends or stories you can actually pull from and make that part of your aspect. But you basically have four categories and you can have Mythos, which gives you supernatural powers, and Logos, which basically gives you your normal mundane powers. So you might be a street detective. So being able to know police work and being a detective might be two of your columns. Whereas if you're also happen to be a Robin Hood uh, 
avatar. You might also have like extreme marksmanship or uh, hiding in the woods or something along those lines. You can really play around a lot with what the powers are. There aren't preset ones there. However, if you can, as you play, uh, if you go against one of them, you will lose points. If you truly follow one, you'll gain more points and you can actually end up becoming too powerful in your mythos and kind of your character goes full god or you can become so ingrained in your mundane life that you completely forget that you're an avatar uh, there's a lot of room to play with in the game and in fact i took that system and i built a my hero academia mm. uh, i did a short three uh three night run of that with some people uh and then also i did a uh, star wars one with okay. it as well because it worked well with just like force powers yeah. and understanding that so if you learn the mechanics you can really make it adjust well into other games and to be honest i know that dungeons and dragons is so popular and whenever somebody thinks rpgs that's normally what they think this for me would be the perfect introduction for people into new games because the way that you can set it up the way that your characters can evolve it is not so restrictive. They don't have to read a whole entire rule book and, and understand character classes. It's simply you are playing as something that you know that normally everybody knows, and you can still be a normal person too and find the skills in that. This is your once per podcast reminder that if D&D was a little too complex and didn't flip your switch for role-playing games, there are other role-playing games out there to try out. Don't write them all off. There's a whole column within uh, Red Raccoon Games of amazing other role-playing games other than Dungeons and Dragons. So in City of Mist, is it that every person in that city is an avatar or an aspect, or is that only like a select number of people? It's only a select number of okay. people. So in the game, they obviously leave it ambiguous. Mm. I have my own theories mm. that I believe in the game, but the idea is that there is something called the mist which actually overlays it so very similar to the um percy jackson novels okay. whereas there's that essence that kind of hides the supernatural okay. that also happens within the city of mist but it only exists within the city so therefore you can do things in the city but i think if if i'm remembering this correctly i can't remember my own logic or what was actually mm. in the rule book last time i read it uh if you leave the city you lose all your powers okay. like your powers are only based okay. within that city interesting so and i mechanically because i um another employee um ariel was talking to me about city mist she's actually the one who had talked about it enough that i went i'm going to go seek out how to get it in the store uh and what you've described as well really lines up that this makes me think of some of the mechanics from the fate system which was rather popular in the indie rpg scene about 10 years ago and it's still no people who play fate um but that way that you develop those aspects of your character with as a as a conversation between the player and the the GM, the storyteller, um, I really like that. I like custom mechanics like that. They're very flavorful. Um, it sounds to me like City of Mist is a revision of a lot of those ideas from Fate, but cleaned up, streamlined, and made a little bit less abstract because one of the things i definitely struggled with when playing fate at times is that it has some really good bones but it is a very abstracted idea um as is so so i believe you're you're correct on that because i believe the fate system inspired the power by apocalypse system mm. which is the basis for city of mist okay um and if you are interested in city of mist but it's not feeling quite up your alley son of oak which is the company that created it just recently came out with otherscape uh, which is more of the uh, Cyberpunk 2027 mm. kind of okay. concept. There's still magic in the world, but it's high sci-fi, high cyber 
like mm. uh, almost Shadowrunner esque, and again having those low rent rules in order to play around in it is really nice. I I just remembered something that I didn't see in the new hotness immediately because both copies of it sold the day it came in, but we're getting it back in, um, and that's Deviant the Renegades, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna force us to talk about that one for a minute too while okay. we're talking about cool Ooh. RPGs. Okay, hit me. So, brand new Chronicles of Darkness game. I mentioned that a little bit earlier as far as that's, you know, like Vampire the Masquerade, that kind of stuff. It's the same sort of idea. I'm not going to go into exactly what makes it different, but um, the idea is that you are a monster of some sort as, a, as the character. Deviant is about being someone who has been turned into something not human anymore. And you are on the run from the people who did it to you, but you're also fighting back. So, the things that it's... Um, inspired by are like uh things like the, the anime movie akira or um the uh, uh film tesuo the iron man um it's also uh, um not tony stark iron man not Just tony so stark a- iron man very different very iron man different. very different uh very much a uh that's that's a that's an r-rated iron <laughs> man so weird japanese horror movie but um the uh and and now it's um prototype the ps3 game prototype all that stuff where it's like you were either abducted uses an experiment or something it could be could be sci-fi based it could be something weird like um eldritch magic but there's something that broke your soul and in breaking your soul it gave you power and you escape from the people who did it to you the conspiracy as it's called and now you are going to show them that they succeeded in making a weapon and you're going to use it against them. So the developers called it a game about cathartic um, escape from uh, or cathartic revenge against systemic violence. And I am so excited about it after the vampire game that we're running. That's the next thing I'm going to want to run. Um, and it just, it sounds so fun. It's got great body horror. Um, and much like if you've seen like the film Akira, you know, in in that setting, the the characters who have psychic powers, the more they get emotionally unhinged, the more powerful their powers become. And this is very much like that, where the the less balanced and stable you are, the more powerful you are. But it also means you're probably going to burn out, and you might hurt someone near you. Um, just absolutely amazing. Probably a more mainstream, somewhat concept of this would be almost Venom from the Spider-Man yeah. universe to a degree, where the more that the host is not encumbered by the rules of society, the more powerful they become. So Absolutely. Venom kind of goes a little crazy, uses the we pronouns before they were represented yeah. in a different way. Uh, Carnage is a great example of this that comes from Venom because he was actually part of a psychopath so that he could think of more dynamic things to do with yeah. the symbiote. Um, I mean, in a way, you could also think of the Hulk as an example in the earlier parts fantastic. of where the Hulk yes. is on the run from the government um, and fighting back. There, it, This is definitely a thing where when I go to explain it to people, it's a trope that's very common of the you're, you are the test subject on the run. Um, and my brain always goes to the most esoteric examples. That's <laughs> <laughs> the Iron Man. No, yeah. okay. That's the, the two people that got the other reference we made earlier, they probably got this one too. Um, I, and I will make sure that you somehow properly have my phone number for when you run that game so that, you know, you can reach out so we can play it for sure. Um, I did want to put out a disclaimer. I see that you have Aftermath back on the new hotness. Yes. Um, I'm going to warn people about plaid hat games because you see them and you think they're cute. 
They've got <laughs> Aftermath, which has a really cool, like, ooh, it's after the apocalypse mouse. Uh, they also have uh, Stuffed Fables, mm-hmm. which is, oh, this is like Toy Story. Uh, and and even within Stuffed Fables, they have, like, here's morals that you can talk to your kids about afterwards. These games are dark, Okay. All right, Plata, you're not getting to past me. I'm, I'm calling you out right now because Aftermath, the main villain that you learn about in the first session is a cat that is hunting down the mouse gerbils and all the other small rodents that have survived the apocalypse. However, you learn at the very beginning of the story that that cat used to be a kitten, that all these mice raised it as one of their own, but then became too big and too hungry and turned vicious on them. Okay, that's episode one of this story. <laughs> so just beware. You're not getting a QC game. Now, the gameplay is phenomenal. The way that they use a map in order to tell a narrative story. Uh, you you have like just a flip book and you go to different pages for different stories. It's a phenom- phenomenally produced game. The minis are amazing. The gameplay is spot on. I'm going to recommend it to you. But do not put this in front of your kids and then start reading it and say, oh, oh my. oh, um." Definitely one for familiarizing yourself first. Exactly. And Aftermath is more of their older aimed uh, games. Like, so Fables, 7-Up, totally would do 7-Up. It is dark tinge, but I think of it in uh, in the way of like an, an 80s animated kids movie like Secret of Nim. My, my normal narrative, if your kids are not scared to watch Toy Story scene of what, – what's the bully's name? Scud's Room? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's his name? Um, in the first Sid. one, Sid. 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 Sid's room where there is the, the crab with the baby yeah. head and all that. All the creepy toys that he creates. If your kids can watch that scene and not freak out. Nothing in Stuff Ables is even that spooky, really. I, I would argue seeing how there is a baby <laughs> head on top of like a crab body. Oh, there is that one, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. See, and my metric's broken, but. <laughs> and then there's like an Oogie Boogie character type. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's a the Nightmare King, type. I think. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, right? I'd say if they're ready for Secret and Nim, they can do this one. And no I, one speaking, ever, of, speaking of someone who you was. the weirdest example. Secret of Nim is so creepy. It is a dark tinge. Right. So, like, you're ready for this way before Secret of Nim, but people will put their kid in front of Secret of Nim. At least they used to. I don't, they put that on for us in, like, third grade when they were putting a movie on it. I don't know if they still do this in, in schools, but, like... No. We, we watched movies, yes. Okay. I've never watched the Secret of Nim. Never knew oh. why it was happening, but, like, it's either the teacher has a hangover or they had a meeting, and so they roll a VHS uh-huh. and, it, and it's, it's CRT TV rack out, and, uh, and they put on Secret of Nim. And here's the thing. I don't know if they just put the tape in and just said, screw it, we're just going to start it right now, or if I missed the beginning of it. The only part I saw was the climactic sword fight with the rats at the end, and I was like, that rat's bleeding now. I am in third grade. This is a little traumatic. Um, they don't do that anymore because yeah. it's wrong, because kids aren't supposed to see it at that yeah. age. they don't have VHS so tapes stuff tables is not <laughs> nearly – I think that you're – if they're okay with Toy Story and it's not too spooky for them, stuff fables is going to be great. Aftermath is definitely aimed at more of like a teen – audience and the thing that i've heard people say about aftermath which by the way aftermath actually um i think this might be its last print run it might be going out of print because we were we were told get it before it's gone um aftermath was pitched to me as this is a more accessible kingdom death monster in the way that it is scenario based and you're doing a semi-open thing with upkeeping your colony and everything. And for those who aren't familiar with Kingdom Death Monster, that was one of the first, like, this is a three to five hundred dollar game I'm buying on Kickstarter, back before that was more normalized. And it's 
weird and out there and has some crazy horror stuff going on. But mechanically, in terms of the base building and scenario play, I've had Aftermath compared to that. So, Jesse, I love how sometimes when you try and describe something, I make more, it more confusing. Exactly. You're like, <laughs> just, here's the thing you don't know. Exactly. You're like, okay, let me try and describe Batman to you. And instead of going to something normal, like he's a cop. But he fights crime at night, and, a, and he's not with the law. You're like, watch Nosferatu. And if you pull elements of that, then you kind of understand where Batman is coming from. That's the direction that you sometimes I'm not, go, and I'm, it's just a left field I've never expected. I'm not going to say that you were wrong in any way. <laughs> well, uh, instead of telling me what I'm wrong, why don't you tell me what's going to be going on in the shop this week? Um... Let's see. This week, we've got the usual slate of events. Um, Heroclix release for uh, the aforementioned What Ifs Disney Plus set. Um, Saturday is the second Saturday Sidewalk Sale. Saturday is the second Saturday Sidewalk Sale, and we haven't announced yet what the sales are going to be, but come out for the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. Come out and get some stuff that's on sale. We'll have stuff outside, most likely, as long as it's not raining. Um not this week, but the 18th is going to be this uh, this month's Gamers Night, Saturday the 18th. Um, and so that's super exciting. And uh, yeah. Okay. Anything else, Lexus? Not in the store per se, but I do have something else I wanted to mention. Throw it out done. there. Ooh. So we set up a table. This is in the store. We set okay. up a table of um, all of the nominees for the Spiel de Haras that we had in the store. Excellent. And we've got a few more coming in that are on, on order or back order, so hopefully they get here soon. But uh, if you're not familiar, Spielhares is the Game of the Year award in Germany, and the winners will be announced on July 16th. But we've got a bunch of the nominees and recommendations, so you should come check that out. And I think in the last episode of the podcast, Jamie and I actually went over the nominees mm. this year, so... It's even better. I it's won't surprising do that how many we have in stock because usually it'll be not something that we never heard of get nominated, something we like, and then right. something that we just can't get in, and it's impossible. So now it's like, well, we're actually pretty set up no matter what wins. Yeah, we've got about five or six in stock and two that can get here. There's a few that are not in English, so we can't get them. I have my fingers crossed for Cascadia. Yes. That's going to be a, a hard one to beat. Yes. I was, I haven't played this yet, but I know that you played it. I was surprised to see Witchstone on there because I thought yeah. Witchstone looked like a super cool game. It did, but it ha didn't seem to sell super well. Like we still have a few copies, but mm -hmm. I was, it was great. I played it twice. No, I just played it the one time. Yeah, I, I skimmed over the good. list. There was something else on there that I was like, oh, that game's super good and it deserves to be there, but I don't remember what it was now. I don't know. Um, We're all going to look at our phones real fast mm -hmm. to see if we can figure out what Jesse was talking about. Can we figure it out in time? Probably Am I just going to end the podcast? That's where I figured you were going to be, but uh, then I wasn't sure if you were just like, and I'll just I'll cut out the dead air. And with that, our episode <laughs> comes to a close. Uh, I'd like to thank the staff members who joined me today. And if you want a chance to talk to them about your tabletop, uh, come and find them at Red Raccoon Games, located in downtown Bloomington, Illinois, where... If they don't have a game in stock, you can go to the front desk and you can order it and get how much off? 10%. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you yeah. don't have to pay until it comes in. Exactly. Yeah. You just say, I want this. And it starts coming and you automatically get a discount. Yeah. I want to thank Jillian Mesner for the use of our theme music. And feel free to tell us how we're doing by leaving either a comment on the podcast app of your choice or come right to the source by emailing info at redraccoongames.com. 
If you throw the word podcast into the subject line, we'll do our best to give you a shout out on the show. But until next time, keep playing. Bye. Bye.